In today's episode of Good Writing, we discuss world building with the help of B.R. Yeager's Pearl Death and Gene Wolfe's Book of the New Sun. Thanks. Enjoy. How's it going? It's good. Happy Good Writing Podcast episode recording session. <laughs> Happy Good Writing Podcast recording episode <laughs> session to you as well. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> I'm honored that you would have me here. Um, but if you didn't, I don't know what the show would look like. Um, I'm sure you'd figure it out. <laughs> have me here. Ben, this is like if we co- if we were roommates and you're like, thank you so much for having me over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Uh, quick, quick thing to start us off. Then quick, quick opening. Ro- worst roommate you've ever had. Go. Oh Ben. Oh no. Okay. Let me. Let me think how I can say this. Um, I had a roommate in college who hated me. Ooh. Um, it was like s- senior year of college, and I had a friend who I wanted to live with, and then. She was like, can this girl live with us? And I was like, yeah, I met her a couple times, no big deal. But then that girl was like, can this girl live with us? And I was mm. like, oh boy. But I was studying abroad and I wasn't able to like go look at home. So I was yeah. like, okay, like whatever. <laughs> she hated me. Oh, jeez. Um, like, in a really like eye-opening girls can be mean way. Like, I didn't grow up with oh. sisters, so I didn't know the degree to which girls can be mean. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, she hated me. I'm not sure what started it. I I didn't like her cat, and I said I don't like cats before she got us to agree to let her have her cat live with us. So I was never, like, excited about the cat, and I always requested the cat didn't go into my room, and I think that's what started it. It just spiraled from there. This girl hated me. I, I, like, after... There was one point I... Sorry, this was a, this was this was like a very long story. I hope you know that you triggered something here. No, um, no, I, that was the goal. Like, there yeah. was there was this one point. I was like, I was in a club and I was seeing my friends from the club, and we hadn't seen the club hadn't met for a week, and and I like told my friends like, no one's asked me how my day was in a week. Like that's the degree to which this roommate hated me she just i would keep putting it out there and she never 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 met wow. me there yeah wow what's Jeez. your worst roommate uh my worst roommate was uh someone who i was friends with we haven't really talked in a long time uh you know understandably <laughs> after a weird roommate scenario <laughs> um they, they they were definitely someone who was just like uh, i don't want to speak super ill of this person not just because i don't know if they'll ever listen to this but because they also aren't inherently a bad person like mm-hmm. they just you know they they're they're not like they're, they're a good person they're kind and they had they have a good heart um but they were they, they were an actor they were a theater kid and there oh is the intended drama that comes with someone who is theatrical in nature. And they're, a, they're also, like, a pretty successful theater person right now as well. And, like, an alt-theater scene and stuff. Like, yeah, so they're... So they're, what made the roommateship so bad? Uh, th- there, was a, there was a lot of drama surrounding them. They uh, were very, you know, felt their emotions very openly and, and very adamantly. And they and... Um, our other friend, who is a former roommate, did, ended up clashing heads a lot. Like, you know, there was a lot of, you're not listening to me. This other person was also a theater kid. So there was just a lot of, like, <laughs> and <Zigzag> me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And me. <laughs> Off indeed, um, because we were at one point all on the improv team together. Um, Absolutely, but, yeah. I can, I can, I can assume that's how you met. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we we met actually. Uh, creating it, how we met is actually a very cute memory, also because it's how it was the first time me and Fran spent any extended um time together. Um, and for the listener, Fran is my wife. Uh, now, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that that was a very nice memory uh but we were creating a radio drama uh together as a school project based oh on God. a philip k dick short story and i don't know where this thing is 
And I'm not going to say the name of it on the air because I don't want people to listen to it. It's one of the worst things ever committed to, um, committed to, the to audio drama the format. Yeah. Ever committed to waveform. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is some weak sauce, um, is how I would describe it, but yeah. You had two actors, you a writer, and Fran someone with great taste. Yeah, well... Like, how did this not come together? None of us were the actors in it. There were two uh, other what? people who are uh, people who have been kind of lost to the memory hole on my part. I don't really know who they were, but they were around, and uh-huh. they were not fantastic. And we just didn't really understand how to make a radio drama. Like, a thing that we thought would be very important was understanding when characters were moving around so that there was a lot of footstep sounds to, like, signal that someone was going from place to place. And it ended up having just insane foley is what that meant. Like, yeah. Yeah, you want actually as little physical motion recorded as possible. (laughs) That's what we learned. Well, then you really... (laughs) <laughs> you really turned it around when we did Donald August versus the Land of Flowers, uh, yeah. our own radio drama. Uh, you yeah. really, really turned that around. I think you learned your lessons the hard way. <laughs> yeah, but what, what turned us around was you telling me, Ben, this is a visual thing that you've done. We need to figure out how to make this work in a way that people don't have to look at it, like for every single thing that I gave you. And you were very kind and patient with me on those parts. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I was giving myself the same damn note, Ben. I mean, I kept, we kept writing just really, really great visuals. And, yeah. and also sentences that could never be read out loud by a human. Like, just <laughs> to exactly. not have the rhythm. A, we kept trying to write a book or a TV show. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It's a different genre. You know, yeah. I'm relieved to hear that your bad roommate situation, you can feel that she's a, that he, they were otherwise a good person. Um, yeah. My bad roommate situation was moving in with us because she hated her previous roommate so much. <sighs> And in her telling of the story, she always acted like the previous roommate was the aggressor. And even in her own stories of it, I always was like, I don't think that's bad to ask you to do your dishes within 24 hours, actually. You know, I think you're, you might be the villain of your own story here, Kel. That's... That's one of the greatest things about living with a partner is that now you just know that the dishes are not going to sit in the sink for days. For literal mm. days on end, they will sit there. <laughs> because it's like the person who's they are didn't do them. And then you are see them and you're like, those aren't my dishes. I refuse to do them on principle. But guess what? The flies don't care. The flies don't care who didn't do the dishes. They're just going to show up. <laughs> like, uh... Flies don't give a damn about your principles. Yeah, with living with your boo... Is like, okay, I'll just do them for you. You got it, babe. Love you. XO. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, there's dishes to be done. I shall do the dishes. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. What, a, yeah. what a sexy hero I shall appear. <laughs> yeah. I saw a video the other day. It was this guy who, the caption was, this is what I send my, my wife to get her in the mood. And it was just him folding laundry and like kind of <laughs> dancing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah no it's nice to know that those are the things that count a lot (laughs) it's just like just small (laughs) small moments of relief provided to the other person (laughs) it really does god god Uh, we are pushing 30 man (laughs) yeah no we really are i'll come downstairs and fran has like made dinner and i'll like almost start crying (laughs) yeah you love each other so much it smells so good thank you (laughs) yeah (laughs) Oh, well, anyway, how's writing and reading been? <laughs> uh, writing and reading are going okay. Uh, writing a little less so. Slowed down a little bit on that. Just doing the submission game still. Trying to find places to put stuff. And sending out, you know, another two like, things into the ether to say, hey, maybe look at this. And we'll see how that goes. But I haven't, like, written anything new in the last week. I haven't, like, touched a document. Yeah. Oh. Wait. I think this episode will come out... In the beginning of January 2022. Yes. Do you want to do a 2021 wrap-up? Oh, of, like, stuff that we liked? Yeah. Yeah. Do you anything off the top of your head? Okay. Um, like, I'm trying to think of, like, what books I read that came out this year is a big issue. 
Oh yeah, that's kind of the like. <laughs> I, I really I, track when. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read one book that came out this year, and it was the new Brian Evanson collection, which was good. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. I mean, also the pandemic has melted my sense of time, so some of this might be 2020. Yeah. yeah. I think most of the books that I've read this year that I liked, I've already mentioned on the show. So mm-hmm. Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, and mm-hmm. obviously no one is talking about this by Patricia Lockwood. Mm-hmm. Um, this may have been last year, but one book that I haven't talked about on the show is Milk Fed by Melissa Broder. Okay. Um, Milk Fed by Melissa Broder was phenomenal. Um, it's really... <laughs> It's about a uh, a comedian with an eating disorder who is horny. Okay. Um, but it's all like a queer woman, and so it feels, you know, different. Um, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's really funny and also insightful, especially about like how people with anorexia think. Um, okay. Really, really interesting. Cool. Really funny is the is the main recommendation. Okay. Is nice. this twenty twenty? I'm gonna look this up. Yeah. Let's see. Milk fed. Um, oh no, this is a 2021 book. You you Woo, are on it. the yeah exactly. You're on the life right here. You got it. Nailed it. Melissa Melissa Broder. What else has she done? Uh, the Pisces. I haven't read it though. Okay. So sad today. That's the uh, that's the one that I have heard of. Um, yeah, the it's like an essay collection, I believe. Oh, cool. She sounded familiar. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. Anything else from the last year, did, and and even just not twenty twenty one stuff, but just things that you liked from the last year of reading. Um, something that I liked this past year, highlight for me, I submitted, I submitted the fourth draft of my manuscript, my novel, and mm-hmm. submitted it out to agents, and uh, was requested. Got really excited, you know. They read my query and then said, "Send me the full. I'd like to read it and consider it." Mm. And then it's been eight months, like of just sitting in their inbox. So yeah. it is kind of funny, uh, uh, learning a lesson of hurry up and wait, and coming to terms with you know things mm-hmm. things happening on other people's timeline. Uh, yeah, yeah, of the weird, insane schedule of a book agent. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's been my writing highlight. Okay. Nice. What about you? Any writing nice. highlights this year? Writing highlights this year? Not really. No. <laughs> writing highlights has just been completing things, like writing things to a point that I feel that they're finished, that that's about it. Like, other than that, you know, it's just con- getting myself to continue to write. That is the highlight that I have not given up yet. Like, because this, this Honestly, year's been a struggle. Like, yeah. It's kind of, kind of a big deal, though. Like, most people who finish an MFA quit writing. And yeah. just to continue to pursue something outside of a structure where a professor is giving you a grade and encouragement is, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's, that's the writing highlight for sure. Like, yeah. Like, um, reading highlights. Let, let's see. I, I got to put, um, God, that probably came out in 2020, but Sea Witch it was definitely one of my favorite things that I read this year. I thought that was amazing. Um, Let's see, the, the, that is the, um, you know, I, I was looking up stuff about it actually and found out that it, was, it wasn't it was actually a contiguous text when it was first being published. It was a series of zines uh, that, mm. that are collected as Sea Witch, um, so, and it was written by multiple people. Um, there, there are hmm. different contributors inside of it, which changes a lot of how I had, I kind of understood what I was reading. Like, yeah, but it's still, still fascinating, still definitely worth your time. Um, I, I thought that was very good. Um, let's see, 2021, like I said, the new Brian Evanson collection is very good. Um, I, I was a little worried about it because I didn't like his one before this, which came out in 2019. Um, the, the, but this new one, the glassy burning floor of hell very, very good. Just kind of collecting the short stories that he's written in the last year. Just great horror writing. Great sci-fi writing in there, too. A lot of really good, like, post-apocalyptic feeling stuff. But without all of the, like, genre weight that comes with post-apocalypse, like, it, it just... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of divorced from all of that, but it is still clearly taking place on a destroyed Earth. Or, yeah. in many scenarios, a destroyed planet that isn't even necessarily Earth. Like, we, we get to see it through, an, like, another species post-apocalypse, almost, which is cool. Like, cool. Yeah. Cool. That, and then, my other big reading highlight was actually the... 
you know, the books I finished last week, which are uh, Sil- the uh, the Bell Jar, fantastic, great, very happy to have finally read this book. Yeah, hell of a book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic from cover to cover. Read the Bell Jar if you haven't read the Bell Jar. You've probably read the Bell Jar. I'm the one that's late to the party, but like, yeah. <laughs> I think it's useful though. There's a lot of classics that feel like everyone should have read by now but i don't know where to start with a lot of them so yeah. i do think it's always still useful like even if maybe a lot of people have read it before like to to, yeah. to vouch for it yeah absolutely like, but yeah so definitely check that out beautiful book uh, that as we have discussed in the last two episodes uh, about a, a young woman dealing with mental illness but also just dealing with the weight of living that we all have to deal with like just an absolutely fantastic read fantastically drawn character and really really beautiful sentences beautiful freaking sentences like there's a reason that episode of ours is well over our hour mark yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and then the other big one for me was what i finished last week which is the a um a manga memoir called a drifting life by Mm -hmm. yoshihiro tatsumi this was published in like 2009 uh, Tatsumi passed away in 2015, um, so it was, it was translated into English with a bunch of his other work being translated and reprinted for the first time in English. Um, and he was a very prominent fi- figure in alternative manga in Japan and the kind of like alternative comic movement over there. Not really known outside of Japan, just because not a lot of it saw English translation or translation in other languages, but this mm-hmm. memoir kind of details his early career in the 50s um, when he first began creating manga and the way that he felt that there needed to be a break from manga that was intended for children and manga that was more targeted at adults uh, which he Mm. was one of the first artists to do this and it is also a fascinating look at at that historical context of like this kind of like growth in this art form um, and, and his like relevance to that movement and it's also an amazing look at post-war japan from the perspective of the japanese which we just don't see in america very often like you know the bombs dropped and then america kind of stayed there in their military bases but we don't really know we're never really told about how absolutely difficult that period of rebuilding was for japan and how like how much of a struggle that was for the country and how kind of amazing it is that they came out of that as quickly as they did and is with as much like you know flourishing as they have had since then uh the the country has rebuilt itself very successfully um since then i mean successfully in air quotes uh under the reins of capitalism and all the issues that that creates but like you know they're not they're the people aren't starving anymore and they were for a while yeah gotta add our socialist or marxist caveats Mm -hmm. always but Mm -hmm. yeah like yeah (laughs) yeah don't want to make it think that i love exactly what happened but i'd rather have people have food on their tables than not so like whatever whatever puts that out yeah controversial opinions with the good writing podcast (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's that's been reading and writing highlights for me for the past year. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Cool. Yeah, we but did yeah. it then. You know, another year of pandemic, and we're still still going at it. Hey, man, another year, only thirty five more to go. Um, and then... <laughs> Wait a minute, hang on. <laughs> yeah, you're retiring earlier. What's the? <laughs> no, no, I just mean of the pandemic. We got about 35 okay. more years of that to deal with. Um, yeah. Oh, Ben. Uh, just before we change topics, everybody go get boosted. Uh, everybody please go get boosted. The boosters do seem to work against Omicron. The, the New York Times said a few days ago, I hope this information isn't outdated by the time this episode comes out, but the New York Times said a few days ago that somebody fully vaccinated but not boosted has like a 30% protection against Omicron, whereas mm-hmm. somebody vaccinated and boosted has like a 80 to 90%. Uh, I'm sure those numbers will be updated since we've recorded this episode, but mm-hmm. please go get boosted. It's here. Yeah. It's uh, this is the situation we're dealing with. Uh, it's It's literally the only thing you can do. Um, so (laughs) please go and do it for your sake and for our sake, because I, you know, I, we'd like to go to concerts again and stuff like that. Like, it'd be cool, but it'd be nice. It'd be nice. And I simply won't do it at this time. Uh, so wear a mask, get boosted. Uh, let's, let's get this show on the road, folks. Yeah. I I understand we're probably preaching to the choir, but if you haven't yet, please do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Speaking of getting this show on the road, Ben, yeah. what the heck did you send me to read this week? What is this? All right. Okay. <laughs> so I have sent you, I sent you two things. I sent yeah. you the uh, first page of the second chapter of Gene Wolfe's um, great science fiction fantasy novel, The Shadow of the Torturer, uh, the first of a series of four books uh, that is the Book of the New Sun, as okay. they are known. Uh, absolutely fantastic work of sci-fi of like literary sci-fi fantasy please if you have not read uh any gene wolf i highly recommend him um and i brought that in as a show of traditional forms of world building and and maybe as a way of an example of how you can do world building um in the way of the next work that i'm going to showcase uh does but in a more traditional kind of novel format like because i understand we're not all experimental writers out here but I also sent you a few cards from B.R. Jaeger's Pearl Death. Um, Pearl Death is a deck of cards. Uh, there's a hundred of them. Each one contains a tiny tidbit of written information alongside of a picture. And together, <laughs> these 100 cards come to sketch out a an, an entire world and a conflict between three like set factions as well as a um as well as kind of the history of the world of pearl as it is known and it is all just done through these individual cards that all just have like a a small description of an object or a time place sometimes a person and then this like very small line drawing of that and i think that this is one of the coolest examples of world building that has ever been made because this deck of cards, like, you can't play a game. I mean, I'm sure you could make up a game to play with it, but, or you could also tell fortunes with it. But, yeah, go ahead, yeah. What the hell? Okay, so it's a deck of cards. <laughs> yeah. But it is essentially, like, there isn't a game. Like, it's maybe generous to call it card. Like, it is physically cards, but I've never yes. had a deck of cards that you can't. It's not designed to play a game. Okay, yeah, because these visually looked like I was like, Okay, we've got a basic line drawing, and then we have some text, but I don't see any stats. So I was like, "Who are you playing against? Like, is yeah. this a?" Re- you know, I was I was very confused looking at this this format. They are really they're really like they're they're relatively basic drawings, but they're really pretty. Um, yeah, it's always it's just one of three colors. It's it's a, a blue, red, or or this this uh, cream. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow, okay. I originally when you sent these to me, I assumed they were related and I was like, what the hell? This is a whole different world than the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The 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 uh the I guess text you would call it that is Pearl Death is uh this is a release from Inside the Castle. Uh the this is one of mm-hmm. their um probably their their most like non book thing. Everything else is a bound book um that I have gotten from them. Um, shout out to Inside the Castle and John Trafree. I don't know if they listen to this or not. They might because they retweeted our stuff, but just big they shout retweet. out to them. Yeah, like, uh, they're the cool as hell. Um, but yeah, the this work, Pearl Death, is just this deck of cards. It, it is not a traditional book. It is a text and a world shown through these 100 cards. And huh. it, it is, I think, the best example of pure world building that I have ever seen as a reader. Um, because that's all that it is. The The text doesn't, like... Th- there's characters that recur, but there's not, like... A, and there's, like, sort of a plot if you count, like, a history being recounted as a plot. But it is only done through details and aspects that are not central to that plot or things like that. The Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like, each card is... Uh petrified menzies pendant like it's just an object and then a description of the object so Mm -hmm. all 100 of these cards are object description of object Mm -hmm. and then you can like context clue based of based on 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 the fact that this object exists what the world is like ben that's fascinating yeah okay inside the castle they really are out there out there doing something new they're they're, they're trying to they they really are it's why i find them to be eternally impressive like just to give an example of one of these, because the five that I sent to you, I just kind of drew at random just to kind of give you a, a show of what they are. But here, we'll just do one and we'll read it out here. Uh, the Empyrean Spore, as you can see. have our, our spore here. Gross. Continue. Yep. 
a small fleshy mass with psychoactive properties, found worship among a small branch of spore eaters, who believed flora to be the divine state, and that by partaking in the spore, one could become more verdant. I, <laughs> and just, oh, language level, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. B.R. Yeager, also excellent writer. He's written two novels as well, um, Amygdalatropolis and Negative Space, both of which very, very good. Really cool writer. Like, re- really awesome dude. Um, but this... Like, here, we'll just use this as an example because I want to talk about world building. I, I want to talk about the ways that we use detail to construct a world and the way that um, I think good world world building or the best kind of world building, in my opinion, is done through referent and done through mm-hmm. things that are knowledge and known to the people within the world and are therefore commonplace to them. So they're not fully described because they're just meant to be understood. Yeah. And then we yeah, come into those and have to context our always, way in. Exactly. That's that's always been the challenge. Like, what literary writers criticize about fantasy writing is, mm-hmm. um, like, well, you wouldn't have to explain the world at all because the people, your point of view character, already know what that is. So, like, walking that line mm-hmm. of um, figuring out excuses to explain the world, even if your point of view mm-hmm. character is already acclimated... Um, is always really impressive, a really fun challenge. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Like the, that, the, that walking that line it is the writer's test because you don't want to sit there and just like, you know, I, I appreciate the Lord of the Rings for what it's done, but that man just sits there and just tells you what all the shit is. Like, he, he's just mm-hmm. like, and here you see the castle of the dwarves in Minas Tirith where they lived underground for a thousand years. And it's just like Dumb- fucking Dumbledore, a Gandalf giving a long, boring speech to a bunch of hobbits that aren't listening to him. And then the reader's not listening to him. And, and it's like, okay, great. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that's, I think the really classic solution is like, you have a point of view character who has like one foot in the world, but is really naive to it or doesn't know all these, like doesn't know everything. And so Gandalf has to explain it to the hobbits because they don't know about Minas Tirith. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's that solution is a bit, I think overdone. Yeah. And and also just like as a reader, it often doesn't really mean like, it's like, okay, great. But like, what am I getting out of this besides the fact that, now I know that you, J.R.R. Tolkien, made this stuff up. Here, you've told me what you've made mm-hmm. up. But, like, it doesn't imply anything or it doesn't have any resounding effect that we're seeing right now. Like, we're just kind of being told all of this. And then maybe the action or what happens next acts as, like, referent because of that on some level. But, you know, we're, we're they're, they're kept separate instead of having that being contiguous, which is where it gets the most interesting. Yeah. Like... Yeah, why does it matter? How can you build, make world building actually relevant to the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Like... So, so this this hella cool card deck, which is called, remind me again. Uh, Pearl is... Death. Pearl Death. Okay. Yeah, Pearl so Death. Yeah. Pearl Death has like a a raw ass title. Pearl Death. Like clearly, mm-hmm. there's something plague like or and then just mm-hmm. clues like every every card in the deck is its own clue and it's all the clues are written have really interesting language but mm-hmm. um it's it feels more like the game is you discovering what this world is right the game is yeah. you are the detective yeah huh? yeah i think that's a really good way to put it because the way that it does this world building and the way that you know that there these aren't just like fantasy objects like i feel like there have been things like that made before that are just like a description of a hundred fantasy swords and that's what i yes oh my god they aren't really (laughs) relevant to each other Uh, but these all feel interconnected because of the way that you see elements recur between them like there's a guild of surgeons who are kind of like this sort of villainous evil presence who are like attempting to like cure the disease of pearl i think but aren't but are doing so through like horrible experiments on people so so they're like this weird like dark science group that are in there and you see them recur and the way that you learn that they're maybe not the best people is through the descriptions of their instruments like through the (laughs) things that they use to do their science with and also through like 
historical moments or through references to other characters who are like known and have titles like head torturer and things like that like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can this is really fun mm-hmm. it's incredibly fun um i, I have to say mm-hmm. i also like i really like this non-book format for this yeah. non-book approach um yeah. i think if i were I don't. I think if it were any format other than a deck of cards, I'd be tempted. It has to be read in the right right order. I'd ha- I'd be like, where is the plot? I'd like have all these different expectations that I have of books mm-hmm. that I don't. I don't have any. I have no idea what to expect from a deck of cards that is writing. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. um, I'm so much as a pretty not very experimental reader. I'm like so much more open to experimentation in that format than I would be. In yeah. A- it releases the reader from that, from their own expectations. You're right. Like, yeah. It's great because it has, in lieu of having something like that, the this connective tissue is there's an instructions card like you somehow <laughs> get with, like you sometimes get with board games and stuff like that, that has yeah. its three steps, you know, number one, shuffle thoroughly. Only fools believe there is any sense or order to this. Two, everyone lies, especially historians. <laughs> and three, whether these cards depict events that have already occurred, are yet to occur, or are presently occurring is wholly dependent on when they are read. Respond accordingly. <laughs> and then you just go into the deck itself. <laughs> like, so... it, it's very, it, it's a really well <laughs> done really piece. I, I, I'm very happy to own a copy of it. Um, I, I don't know if it's still available because they were kind of limited on how many they could print because of the nature of it but i believe that all of the card pdfs are in that ebook bundle that they have on inside the castle and there are definitely recordings of people doing readings of it because um br jaeger himself the the author encouraged people to pirate it after it was released because it was in such limited quantities like so it it shouldn't be hard to find it in some way yeah like what a badass. Okay, yeah. well, so mm-hmm. compare this to uh, the Shadow of the Torturer excerpt that you sent me, which yeah. you described as, like, much more conventional um, yeah. world building. This The excerpt that you sent is, like, part of the second chapter, which is early, but not, like, the very opening. Yeah. Yeah, it's very early in. We're kind of getting our, uh, but like, well, just to like kind of conclude on like what I think is being a great thing to take away from these cards is the way that they mm-hmm. refer, that they build their word through world through reference, not through direct description. It's a, like that's the a key bit, and I think that's something that you can take and put into a more traditional novelistic form. I don't think you have to exclusively do that in. Um, in these like experimental formal studies you can do it in a traditionally written thing um wait can so, we do one more example of like this yeah. referential idea that you have um yeah so yeah. one one of the cards that you sent me is the casket key mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. superstitious zazvanians would lock the caskets of their pearl claimed loved ones for fear the departed would one day return as abominations while rumors of such occurrences persisted across the province no claim was ever substantiated so it's i i just think it's such a good strategy whether in a fantasy setting or not Mm -hmm. to really zoom in on an object that has a lot of weight behind it mm-hmm. so a cask the casket key here like these people have not only buried like pe- they have loved ones who died of some the pearl whatever that is mm-hmm. um not only did they bury their their loved ones but also they then locked their loved ones corpses away for fear of their loved ones attacking them like that's a really poignant situation and to just zoom in on one object mm-hmm. as the description like if you choose the object smartly i think is really effective yeah yeah absolutely like it, and it's because it, it it puts the onus on something that feels more commonplace rather mm-hmm. than like this like very like scary kind of tragic event of like you know your your loved ones have died of this like whatever pearl is whether it's a disease or like some sort of supernatural force we don't fully know or a combination of the two and then locking their corpse away like like putting them not only into the grave but also like saying that the grave is not enough to hold them potentially like that that being the fear and that being very like you said very poignant and have a lot of having a lot of weight to it 
but instead we get that by focusing on the key. Like mm-hmm. we, we get that through just this small object that is commonplace. It, it's it's very normal. And, and to these people, the the uh, Zasvanians, they it would be normal and commonplace to them as well. It would just be the key. It's like we do this to keep our loved ones from coming back and murdering us after they've died. Um, it's not, not realizing it in that context. It it lets you both see it from the perspective of the people there by allowing you to view, by having you view it through the distance of the object. Like it's common writing advice on the internet is like the more you can like choose one very, very small thing to represent the bigger, Mm -hmm. heavier thing, the better, like the, Mm -hmm. the common Something I've seen many times upon my my Tumblr dashboard mm-hmm. is, um, you know, in the Disney animated movie Mulan, um, mm-hmm. the Huns like burn down that one town, and then they're, instead of like, you know, trying to capture every single death, it it just does like some girl's doll like yeah. abandoned, and 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 there's like a, a good shot of that. Yeah, um, I think it's the same same principle here. Like the more you can mm. focus on one object we will be able to conceptualize this this thing that may be too big to like take in all at once otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it, it because that's the goal, right? Because we we when we're trying to world build, we don't want to have to go through all of the effort of actually describing and codifying the entire world. We want to mm-hmm. give it to you through those small moments. Like mm-hmm. it, it, exactly that. Like cuz that that it, that allows the reader to just fill in the blanks themselves, and, and then they can you know go from there in their imagination. It, it sparks that, which is just what what you want to do in those scenarios. I feel like, yeah, like, wicked. These cards are so weird. Okay, yeah, they're okay cool inside as hell. the castle. I see <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're great. Every single one is a treat too. You know, uh, just to read another one out. Uh, we got Grego's diary. Uh, records spanning eight years, encompassing the decline and fall of Surgeon's Church, as well as Grego's initial reign over Deep Ward. The joy with which he describes his work, it is enough to bring one to tears and never-ending sleepless nights. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Grego, you kinky uh, band! <laughs> exactly. Like, it's like, oh, that's that's insanely creepy. Like, and all through a diary, you know? Not, yeah. not through Grego's bloody forceps or something, but through his chronicling of his events. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, and to choose that, like, personal... I mean, it's called a diary, right? Not a journal, right? To choose yeah. something personal and not scary to represent something scary is scarier mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, every time, like being able to imbue the commonplace with that sense of the eeriness only makes it compounded. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And just as as far as technique goes in something like that, just to keep going on that card, um, there is really good proper noun use. Really, really smart use of the terms surgeon's church and the deep ward. Like, we don't mm. know what that is, but those are both very evocative things. At least I think mm-hmm. they're evocative, especially Surgeon's Church. That that asks a lot of questions like, what do you mean? Why are the surgeons at a church? Like, well, why are they an organized religion? And then having the Deep Ward be spelled with a capital D and capital W just calls attention to something that might not otherwise have attention called to it. Like, it's like, oh, this yeah. is a very specific thing. Yeah, like... Huh. Uh, and that kind of, like, really good proper nouns, especially in sci-fi and fantasy settings, I, I think that this works better for stuff like that than maybe describing New York. But, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the sci-fi fantasy names, like, err on the side of fantasynamegenerator.org, and it all mm-hmm. sounds, like, very different, but... Mm-hmm. Um, which can work, you know, in different settings, mm-hmm. but, like, I really like that those are... Those words almost make sense to me. Yeah. Um, I like that yeah. more. Yeah, you, you can find it. Like, you you can find what it is or some sense of it in, in your own memory and own self, like, rather than just seeing, like, you know, oh, the the Corlanthus Mountains, like, excellent. Right. They sure are Corlanthus, correct. Um, well, yeah. well, even that proper noun that I read from the casket key one, mm-hmm. Zazvanians, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it later refers, like, makes a reference to Zazvania as the province. Right, mm-hmm. so I can, within the same card, even when it does do an, an, a name that isn't 
modern day English. Um, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. later within that same card like reassures me. Oh, it's the province. It's uh, you know obviously a location. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, these aren't a specific sect. There, there are people that are located just in a collected geographic area. Like, and, and he does Thank a great you. job of doing that in really small areas. This, this seems like it was so fucking fun to write. Also, like, just uh, as far as this goes, like this is a moment of getting to do something just really cool i think as a writer so i'm glad mm-hmm. he got to make this but yeah to um connect this to our uh, other piece to the uh the first page of chapter two from mm-hmm. the shadow of the torturer by gene wolf um uh, i want to bring a moment in from the third paragraph in there that i or even just the first paragraph too. Let, let's start with that because there, there's a moment that I think goes well with that proper noun um, kind of thing in there, with, mm-hmm. with like referring to something but making it seem bigger by electing it as a proper noun instead of a um, just a commonplace thing. Um, no more did my brother apprentices know theirs uh, from time to time, but most partially when winter draws on, poor wretches come clamoring to the corpse door, hoping to be admitted to our ancient guild the corpse door there like what well, we don't know what that is but it's so evocative right there in that one moment like, yeah i got the vibe like I, yeah. I don't know what it is but i definitely have the the, the attitude the tone is set <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and this is a, a moment of our um narrator referring to his own history as a member of the torturers guild in in the universe that's being uh concerned here there is a guild of executioners and torturers who are um, often brought up as orphans uh, into this life and Mm -hmm. trained in the art of torture and execution as they go to apply their trade in the world after they become adults. Um, But yeah, just that, that is one of those moments where you refer to something as the corpse door. It's a small detail, but it, it allows us to better know not only like the state of this, like the state of the character of knowing that they were raised in a place that has a corpse door, but also the the place itself, like, is also informed in that way. We know that this is not necessarily a kind place, per se, or might not be one, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the, the unicorn confetti door. Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we get a little bit more of that down uh, in paragraph three. Uh, from my earliest memory, I remember all. Uh, the first recollection is of piling pebbles in the old yard. It lies south and west of the witch's keep and is separated from the grand court. The curtain wall our guild was to help defend was ruinous even then, and a wide gap between the red tower and the bear, where I used to climb the fallen slabs of unsmeltable gray metal to look out over the necropolis that descended the side of Citadel Hill. Like, really good proper noun use throughout that. But yeah, go ahead. Great proper noun use. I'm going to level with you, Ben, though. I mm-hmm. I, I lost... It lost me in there. Um, yeah. Because I don't have the context of knowing who yeah. the narrator is. I, mm-hmm, I'm not invested mm-hmm. yet. And mm-hmm, so to mm-hmm. just, like, give me a lot of stage directions... Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm lost here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that, that makes sense because this is a really geographic heavy section too. Like, cause it is all just like location it, by location, by location, by location. And we don't really know. They become a little muddy. I think you're right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't get full access to it. Um, but after that, then we zoom in onto that necropolis that's mentioned at the end there. And th- then we're suddenly back in a specific place again. Um, when I was older, it became my playground. The winding paths were patrolled during daylight hours, but the sentries were largely concerned for the fresher graves on the lower ground, and knowing us to belong to the torturers, they seldom had much stomach for expelling us from our lurking places in the cypress groves. Like, going through that, we see, once again, we're given world there not just in terms of place, but when we know that the sentries are not concerned with them, not because they're children hanging out in this graveyard, but because specifically they're part of the Torturer's Guild, we learn more about, like, the relationship that this person has, that, that this um, sect has with the greater world. But it's done through characterizing yeah. the childhood of this person, like, of our narrator. We learn mm-hmm. about somewhere where they played as a child, we see into their memory and just something that is commonplace to them, but it tells us about how the world works. Like, and that's, I, I think, one of those great referent moments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it, just always world building through 
the most specific individual or individual object possible mm. it's much easier to follow along and I think usually more engaging you know um I got lost in the the red tower was by the citadel hill kind of geographical descriptions Mm -hmm. but like when I was a kid I I got to play in the playground because the guards were afraid of my guild (laughs) um Mm -hmm. that's interesting for me I can I can latch into that (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and this is just that's ultimately what I would want people to take away if we're talking about what to steal and like what mm-hmm. what to reproduce a- after from this uh, sort of thing is just when you are trying to create your world, uh, don't just tell people about it. This might even feel obvious to a certain extent, uh, given where we are in terms of how the genres have grown. Um, but never it's people are still guilty of it all the time. Never just sit there telling people what exists in a place because, the ultimate example of that is something like Ready Player One, which is just telling you, here's this thing, here's this thing, here's that thing, here's this thing. Like, and that is, and then it becomes just truly unreadable because you're just reading a list and you know, you lose track of the fact that there are characters in the scene. But it, it, doing it through referring to things as knowledge that are held by your characters or as things that are understood as commonplace by everyone in this in the world, or through, like you were saying, small specific objects that that mm-hmm. give birth to a wider like a wider array of imagined possibilities. Uh, that that is how your world is going to feel alive and feel purposeful. Like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and also, I'm just such a sucker for. Um voice-driven or, like, narrator's perspective being, like, really unique on on the subject. And so um, I think it's exciting, like, always, if there is a narrator, an eye, or a point-of-view character to, like, really take advantage of not just there is a world here, but this point-of-view character has an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's always strong. Have I told you about... I, I, I think I've mentioned before the book Gideon the Ninth. Maybe? Cool. There's a book called Gideon the Ninth. It's about necromancers in space. Okay, no, you haven't mentioned this because I would definitely remember that. But yeah, Bro, you please go on. Out. Yeah, this it's, seems rad. It's real rad. It's by Tamsin Muir, um, Gideon the Ninth, and then there's a sequel called Hero the Ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Gideon the Ninth, the point of view character, like, it, the point of view character is just kind of swept up into all of this like bullshit that she doesn't care about. Like she mm-hmm. is not a necromancer. She does not respect necromancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really love, like, I don't know if I would be a reader excited about necromancers in space inherently, but then to have the point of view character have like such a strong voice and like mm. such aggressive disinterest in necromancy Mm. (laughs) is really funny Um, it's just really poignant to have um like comedy like not just there is a world here but like your point of view character may have a different opinion on it than the reader because so many so many readers of gideon the ninth are people who would be really excited inherently excited about necromancers in space yeah um so to have a point of view character who isn't (laughs) is Mm -hmm, is really mm -hmm is 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 really refreshing yeah oh man okay that 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 is another great way to do that yeah to choose to have to have your character at odds with the world that is being described as in like oh here's all this cool stuff but it's not i am not interested in it in the least (laughs) like yeah (laughs) that's great yeah yeah i suspect i haven't read anything else from uh the shadow of the torture you said gene wolf Yes. Um, I haven't read anything else from this series, but like I can kind of sense that that is likely to happen in varying degrees. Like, you've got a point of a narrator here who has like who notes that people are afraid of his cult. Um, yeah, I suspect that there's I suspect that there's more going on there too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like the this series gets really crazy i i've only read the first half of it i've read the first two out of four but i've heard that it gets those later ones definitely involve things like it starts off as a fantasy novel and turns into a science fiction series at some point like it starts replacing those to the other yeah like weird yeah (laughs) weird but yeah definitely definitely worth people's time but yeah 
that's that that's what I would say about world building. Thank okay, you. wait. So, <laughs> if I I think you've got probably a couple of different uh, craft exercises. Can you can mm-hmm. you lay one out for us? Okay. If, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I said anything. Go. <laughs> <I'll hear>. <laughs> <laughs> um, the um, the the key craft exercise I think when you're trying to world build is at first. You should do the thing that I said that you don't want to do in your book, in which you should probably try to write out what you think is going on in the world and, like, create, like, hierarchies and understand where power flows from and, and understand, like, what how all your shit works to a certain extent. You don't have to completely know it. There, I think there's an advantage in you not knowing everything about your world, but having that information so that you are able to create kind of a, a physics that the world obeys is very useful because like knowing that, okay, these guys dislike that this group dislikes that group because of this thing that happened 200 years ago. You don't even have to go into what that thing that happened 200 years ago was, but you should know that that happens so that you can then have any character that is from either of those groups potentially be informed by that knowledge that they have. I think it's important to have an understanding of your world that you're trying to set things in. If you're going for another world. But I think the best way to go about doing stuff like this, though, is after you have that basis, when you're actually writing it, allowing yourself into that mode where you are writing about things that you don't know about, things that both you and your characters are unsure of, having having things that are set as being ambiguous, either there weren't enough witnesses at an event so that there are multiple interpretations of said event, any of which can be true, Mm-hmm. Um, allowing yourself to have characters that are flat out wrong about things that have misinterpreted history and, and haven't understood what what has happened, and, but confidently think that they have, or like, or are willing to, or do know it and are lying about it for another cause. Um, mm-hmm. That that sort of thing is always a really good choice. But it's just kind of having that understanding of that if you are building a world your characters uh, must react to it in some way. Like, they are not separate from it. They are inherently part of it, and their actions shape it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that's so much more engaging than, like, a character misinterpreting or not having all of the facts or the truth being ambiguous is so much more engaging than just the guide Mm -hmm. character telling you the the entire thousand-year history of Minas Tirith. You know, like... Yeah, yeah. The facts themselves... The facts of your world themselves are not necessarily interesting but how other people react to it it can yeah. be really really engaging yeah exactly that the, they are they, they are a texture that informs uh what everyone does whether those people know it's informing them or not be because it's just it, it should operate in the same way that history operates in our world uh, that are you know we're, we're always reacting to it and in conversation with it even if we don't think we are necessarily so that's yeah. that that's going to be a great thing to to try to pick up on yeah so the tip the exercise here is like do a lot of pre-writing make yeah. your world bible but then treat yeah. that bible like not like uh the point of your story is to eek is to trickle that bible out but rather the point of your story is your story and that bible just yeah. informs it yeah, exactly. That 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 Bible only makes your writing stronger, but you should still you you should never feel that because something has happened in that Bible that that means that certain characters can't act like it didn't. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. never you know people interpret history to their choosing, no matter what that history is. Like yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Wicked. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Also, I love that we are just becoming an inside the castle like yeah. propaganda out here. Yeah, uh, that, that's gonna <laughs> that, that's gonna happen a lot. Uh, they're, they're they're my favorite publisher, so this probably isn't the last time that we'll see them. Uh, just because I read all their shit, <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, they got good taste. They got good taste. <laughs> yeah, it's the case. It's the case. They got good taste. But <laughs> Emily, uh, things that are not reading or writing that you have been encountering, what might that be? Ooh, what a good question. What a good question. And with the context that this will come out in early next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's another podcast that I think we should recommend. It's called I'm a Writer But. Okay. It semi-recently was added to LitHub's podcast network. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's two literary writers. They invite on other literary writers who I've never heard of before, almost ever. And they just like have that writer read a little bit of what they've been working on recently. And then they talk about like the premise of the show. I'm a writer, but like, I'm a writer, but I also work full time. I'm also mm-hmm. a mom. Like this is the writing mm-hmm. is not how I earn my primary income. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they talk really practically about like balancing, you know, being writing and, and committing, committing to that. And also having a body that requ- it's very expensive to have a body in America. I, I'm sure you've heard of this. Um, lots of costs involved and lots of things you got to do about it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm a writer, but yeah, sounds perfect. Absolutely, we'll make sure to put a link to that in the episode description in the show notes. With you, what about yeah. you? Uh, God, what? Well, the problem is that I've been reading a lot lately. Um, the, that's <laughs> been my um, thing is that it's mostly been comics. Um, but like, I would suggest that. What would I recommend? Um, Well, here. What I'll recommend is this. I will recommend a Korean reality show, New World. Um, If you have not... A Korean reality show, or I guess it's referred to as a variety show. It might be of a slightly different genre. Because Mm -hmm. the people on it are not just, like, everyday people. It is all celebrities. Like, it's all, like, K-pop stars and comedians and stuff like that are the people that make up the cast of the show. Uh, So they're... That, that kind of plays into how it works out for people. So what New World is, is basically they take six of these, like, you know, B to C level Korean celebrities who you have not heard of because we're not Korean. Um, maybe you have if you're really into it, but they, they you know, they'll be deep cuts for an American audience. Um, the They put them all on an island that is essentially a giant escape room for oh the, the next, <laughs> for, and the show lasts a week. Where they're all just kind of on this giant escape room, like, semi-competing with each other, but also semi-cooperating with each other to try to earn this um, fake currency that is the currency of the island itself. That uh, The show claims they can cash out for real currency at the end, but that ends up not happening because that would cost too much money for the show, but yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But but while they're there, it's their job to just kind of engage in these weird escape room style puzzles and to kind of bounce off and improvise with each other um, during this process. And it's really fun and funny. It's very delightful, like mainly because these people are all like actors and comedians. So they know how to kind of ham it up at the right moments for the camera and, and how yeah. to play in such a way where they're not like... On a, if it was normal people on this show, it would be about how they're all making each other sad. But because everyone on the show is already success, it's just about how they're kind of making each other laugh because no one really cares how this turns out. Like it, it's, <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's very good. Yeah, <laughs> American reality TV is like people's futures depend on winning. <laughs> yeah, it's harder to yeah. have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When they're like, yeah, I quit my job to be on this show. I don't have anything when I go home if I don't win this. Like, yeah. Yeah. I love RuPaul's Drag Race, and yet mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. frightening to know how much is on the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People are really, really relying on it. Like, it's a yeah. big deal for that. Um, but yeah, in this much less of a big deal and the content of the show reflects it because there there is a large part in the middle where they start having to play this like real estate game where all of the like various parts of the island become purchasable real estate and the prices like raise and lower based on factors of the game that they're playing with each other. And one guy just straight up stops playing it because he doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> he gives like, up on the rules. Yeah, he just gives up on it and instead decides to go dig for treasure in the woods because that's another thing that they that is an option for them and ends up, <laughs> and ends up making like the third most money out of anyone during the game because oh he has decided to go dig for treasure. Like, yeah. I'm over it's, this game. I'm to play the yeah. other game <laughs> exactly like so it's it's pretty fun yeah definitely recommend it. this is like this reminds me like people say great british bake-off is maybe more fun than chopped because or, or various mm-hmm. other american cooking shows because they're mm-hmm. competing for like 
just on the weekends. They're they're driving up and yeah. You know. <laughs> It's just it's for it's for the thrill of the game rather than yeah. for the for any sort of prize at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, fun, cool, yeah. good episode, Ben. Good episode. Thank you, Emily. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been the Good Writing Podcast. Uh, yes, we're two MFA friends uh, talk writing craft. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we made a Twitter account recently. You can find us on Twitter at Good Writing Pod. Uh, you can also send us an email at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. That's goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. You can have more words in your username in an email address than on Twitter, it turns out. Hey, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see All you right. on uh, Monday for the next episode. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody.